Bulldozed, buildings entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Fire and Snow Podcast, the official podcast of the Aquaman Shrine and the Firestorm and FirestormFan.com. Uh, we are your hosts. I am Rob from the Aquaman Shrine, and my co-host is the, as always, is the irredeemable Shag. Say hello, Shag. Oh ho ho! That's way better. Yeah, he's much as uh, as uh, one of our fans pointed out. Uh, Shag, you have that radio voice, so uh, the, that's that's like a perfect. That's like a uh, Rankin Bass level ho 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 just right there. <laughs> Spinning the oldies on Golden, you know, 106. <laughs> um, as, as most of you uh, might imagine from my uh, oh-so-clever opening, uh, we're going to be covering uh, Christmas comics uh, in this episode. Uh, there is... Hooray! Hooray! Uh, there is, you know, in terms of Aquaman and Firestorm, there is scant um, Christmas comics to cover. Um, no kidding! So we are going to sort of expand our horizons a little bit. That sound you hear is the angry emails already starting up. And uh, um, we're going to cover just some, you know, Christmas comics in general. I have a couple that I particularly want to mention, and Shag's going to mention a couple um, that don't necessarily feature Aquaman or Firestone. But we figure, you know, what the heck. It's a, it'd be a fun way to wrap up uh, our, uh, I guess it would be our final show of calendar year 2011. Well, it's, it's 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 also fair to say, folks, that this is not going to be uh, like an overtly religious show or anything like this. No, We're going no. more for the the spirit of the holidays. Right. So, if you're not a fan of Christmas, you know, and we respect all different cultures, it just so happens that comics tend to do Christmas right. So, anyway, if you're not a fan of Christmas, then you know, come back next month. So no, no harm, no foul. Yeah, exactly. There are very few, uh, you know, like say, uh, you know. Jewish-related superheroes and superhero stories. I mean, there are some, but... There's a totally kick-ass um, Ragman story in, in one of the DC Holiday Specials a year or two that I really dig, but I'm, oh, yeah. really par- I'm partial to Ragman. He's just great. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, and there has been more sort of diversity as the years have gone on, and, you know, DC and uh, Marvel have made some of their characters, you know, overtly 
you know, non-Christian or whatever. But anyway, let's not get into all that. Um, yep. We're talking about Christmas comics. But before, Again, this is not of our religion. Yes. Don't send us emails. Don't send us emails. <laughs> um, but before uh, we get into all that, Shag, you had a couple of things you wanted to mention in terms of uh, some news around the Firestorm Central. Yeah. Um, the big news right now is that uh, there's been rumors, and we've talked about it here on the show before, that Gail Simone was going to step down from Firestorm. Well, it's official. She is. And her replacement is Mr. Joe Harris. Joe it was a comic writer for years, went on to sort of do some Hollywood stuff, and has come back to comics. He's probably best known for his comic Ghost Project from Oni Press fairly recently. Um, what is he's that? Also, I'm sorry. What, what does that say about the movie business that you worked in movies and then you came back to comics? Well, you know, and I, and I say I may be wrong. It may be that he actually has always been peripherally in comics and did Hollywood as well. I, I actually don't know. He, I mean, he's done well for himself. He's he's had uh, at least one or two screenplays picked up. I mean, he's he's done well. So uh, he's actually from everything I, I follow him on Twitter and, and Facebook and stuff. And he's a really cool guy. Um, and so I'm excited to see what direction he's going to take the comics. Um, He's also actually – I know him from an old comic in the 90s called Slingers. It was a, a spinoff from Spider-Man, and it was about these four guys. And uh, I didn't – God, it's been so many years since I read that comic. I hadn't even thought about it forever. But it was just a fun superhero comic. Uh, so you know, I'm, I'm kind of energized that he's going to be taking over Firestorm. Now, that's not to say Firestorm is going to be a fun, you know, upbeat comic. It's still going to have that dark sort of twisted angle and, and – and, show the dangers of nuclear power. But uh, him and Ethan have got some really cool plans for the book. So I'm excited. He starts with issue number seven. And also, Ethan Van Skyver will be drawing issues number seven and eight. That's huge news because he has not been drawing in uh, on a regular basis in a while. So getting two issues out of the gate with Joe, is, I think it's going to do wonders for the book. It's interesting, I think, that they uh, – and, 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 you know, I probably a good thing – that they reached outside their sort of current crop of guys to get somebody. I mean, not that, like you just said, not that he's like new to comics necessarily, but like he wasn't writing some other new 52 title mm-hmm. and they just grabbed him because right. one of my complaints, you know, one of my complaints, but one of my complaints about the new 52 a little is like, they kind of just took a lot of the same people that were working on the old 52 yeah. and, and just sort of rearranged the chairs and the Titanic as it were. And, you know, it's like, it's kind of hard to, like, say it's an all-new universe when it's like, oh, that guy that wrote that other book for us, he's now writing this other book for us. So, you know. Well, I don't, I don't actually completely agree with you. Um, all right, I'm editing I, all this out. Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're, you're just wrong. <laughs> but, um, well, I mean, there a lot of it, you're right. A lot of it, I like the rearranging the chairs on the Titanic. That's a good analogy. But uh, a lot of it was that. But also, Bob Harris brought in a lot of his old folks from Marvel. So it's sort of this amalgamum yeah. of of DC post crisis universe, post infinite crisis universe, with Marvel about to go bankrupt nineties culture. <laughs> and, and what a wonderful time that was! Well, I'm just saying. I mean, not to be you know, not to knock anything, but I mean, the, Scott Lobdell, Joe Harris, both of these are from that era, you know. And actually, I don't remember if that's pre or post the bankruptcy, but and, and those weren't bad comics. It's just that's a that's an era that Bob Harris was you know well known at yeah. Marvel and. He's bringing over a lot of the writers. And Nascenti bringing over a lot of the writers. And, you, and, and that's not a bad thing. It just creates an interesting you know, melding of the worlds. And I'm, I'm excited for it because I like Marvel comics too. Yeah, I mean I may be being a, a little unfair, but it, it's just – Dick. I'm, 
<laughs> oh, great. Now we got to put the explicit tag on this one. Um, the dear, dear Apple, he was referring to Dick Grayson. Um, so, no, I just mean that, you know, it's, it's neat that the new guy brought in to write the book or to co-write the book is just somebody that's not already working on, you know, 16 other new 52 titles. Yeah, I just think that's probably ultimately like a, a plus that, that, he's, that this is the thing he's doing and this is a new thing. No, I think no, I, I totally agree. I was going to mention one other thing. I recently picked up for myself an early uh, holiday present. I picked up the Barnes and Noble Nook tablet, and uh, I, 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 I just don't have the scratch to pick up an iPad. It's just that simple. And I wanted sort of a starter tablet, and I did a whole bunch of research between the Kindle Fire and the Barnes and Noble Nook. Both, there's good reasons to pick up each of them. Uh, I'm not going to argue one or the other, but I just happened to choose for my purposes. The Nook was more the choice for me. And uh, the reason I want to bring it up is when I first got the tablet, I was thinking, okay, it's a 7-inch screen. There's no way I'm ever going to want to read digital comics on this. It's going to be too small. Well, I went ahead and um, grabbed a few CBRs I had. And now, by the way, before anyone starts to bat an eye at CBRs, the only CBRs I own are ones or I, I've downloaded are ones that I own the hard copy of the issue of and, quite frankly, have some in trade paperback as well. <laughs> so this just becomes like a third copy. That and, comment had to be inserted due, uh, thanks to our uh, consult- consultation with our fire and water lawyers. No, I, I'm serious because I, <laughs> I, really, I don't support uh, people who – Download CBRs and don't buy comics. You know, it's, I, I think it's wrong. So I uh, now we'll probably get letters from that. But anyway, oh, uh, Lord Shag. <laughs> so I um, anyway. So the point is, I, I loaded some CBRs in here of oh I don't know this this character I read that his hair's on fire. Anyway, and um, let me tell you, on the seven inch screen, it is crystal clear. I can read the comic. Sure, it's a little bit smaller than a comic book page, but it doesn't bother me at all. I have had no problems reading comics on this. It fits perfectly on the 7-inch screen. I can turn landscape if I want and zoom in. That's neat. That's uh, a neat effect. And uh, I, I got to tell you, it's, it's been a very pleasant reading experience. Uh, I, I didn't expect that. I expected that it would be too small for me. And uh, I love it. I'm really enjoying it. I wish they uh, – sooner or later it's got to happen. Comicsology. they don't have an app for Comicsology on the Nook yet. And uh, the minute they do, I'm going to jump on that and, and, and start buying newer, some newer comics through there as well. But uh, so right now I'm just having to, you know, like I said, backdoor through the CBR route. Cool stuff. I, I, I just want to let people know if, if, you, if you were considering a 7-inch tablet um, and you're worried about reading comics on it, I, I am here to tell you it is not a problem whatsoever. Yeah, I've been using my uh, – that's how I've been reading Firestorm actually. I've been buying Firestorm via Comixology. Mm-hmm. And uh, I read it on my uh, iPad, and um, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Uh, it, it is. It's kind of enjoyable. I mean, I don't want to read all my comics like that. I'm mm-hmm. part, partly out of habit and partly out of loyalty to you know the comic book store. I don't want to. Right. I don't want to stop buying them. But there's a couple of books that you know. I just. I, I really just want to read, and I don't necessarily need to own. You know, like I don't need to have them sitting on my shelf, and Firestorm is one of those. So it's the perfect thing for me to download for the to, to purchase via Comixology. And yeah, it's been it's been quite pleasurable sitting, you know, like in bed before I go to sleep with my iPad catching up on a couple of comics. Like that's it's it's you know it's quite pleasurable. I didn't necessarily think it would be, but it is. That's really cool. I uh, and I haven't seen the new stuff on the because everything I've been reading is like from like 1982. Um, 
So I haven't read any new comics on there yet, but uh, from what I hear, the Firestorm stuff especially is just where the colors are astonishing on the iPad. Oh, yeah, it, so, looks, it uh, looks great. Yeah, they look great. Yeah. That, that's all the stuff, the, the preamble that I wanted to cover. All right, fair enough. Let's get into the ho-ho-ho. That's ho. right. I'm, and I'm not talking about the ladies. Oh, good Lord. Oh, my God. We covered every. Oh, jeez. Like, the show's <laughs> been on 12 minutes. We've talked about religion, politics again, <laughs> downloading illegal comics. Steve Ditko's going to get mad at us because we're criminals. And now we're mentioning women as hoes. <laughs> this is just fantastic. Um, I want to make sure everyone gets, uh, gets what they're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we, we were going to cover uh, Christmas comics, and the only um, well, there are there are no Firestorm centric Christmas comics. So just... I, oh, well, you know what? I found I I, I had forgotten because that's what I told you originally, and and I live for interrupting you anyway. Um, there's one sort of kinda. Uh, it is Justice League Unlimited. I want to say it's number seventeen. It is a Christmas theme ep- issue. Firestorm's in it, but he's not really the main player. So that's the closest I could get to okay. any Firestorm Christmas comic. Well, that, that's now, what I meant. I mean, that's what I meant. Just, there's no one. There's no Firestorm solo story. That's right, a Christmas no, comic, is what I meant. Right. There's no like holidays with the Raymonds, right. you know, kind of issue or something. So, and now if I'm wrong, hey, Matchheads, write in and tell me and go, dude, you totally forgot about this issue in 1987 where they did the th- 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 and tell me, that's and that's great. Fine. You're insulting the fans too. That- no, seriously, if I'm totally forgetting when y'all write in and, you know, as much as I like telling Rob he's wrong, feel free to tell me I'm wrong, and uh, and we'll go from there. There's only really one Christmas-themed uh, Aquaman solo story, um, and it's a fairly recent – I mean, you know, there are some Christmassy related things here and there, especially with his Justice League stuff. Um, but the, the the one real solo story that I can I can recall at the top of my head is from the DC Universe Holiday Special from 2008. Um, it was the story Somewhere Beyond the Sea, and it was written by Dan Didio himself uh, mm-hmm. and uh, drawn by Ian Churchill. And it's a very short story. And uh, basically, first of all, it looks great. Um, Ian Churchill did a really nice job on the art. There's a Wonderful two-page spread of um, Aquaman fighting a kraken-type creature. Who's, he's rescuing some people whose, whose boat is being attacked by a giant creature, and it looks fantastic. Um, it, this this story really made a—I hate to say it because I know that sounds hoary—but it really made a splash at the time because in 2008, Aquaman was dead in the current DCU, and there really was no classic Aquaman around much. So, like, just getting a classic Aquaman story, even eight pages worth, was, like, a big deal. You know, I was like, oh, wow, you know, Aquaman's back, if, if only for, you know, eight pages in a Christmas special. Um, but, you know, thanks to Ian Churchill, he looked great. He looked really good. The story looks really good, so it was, it was a nice thing. Um, the story basically is a retelling of the... Uh, well, not to put it too fine a point, but basically a retelling of the birth of Christ because Aquaman rescues uh, this couple and the woman is pregnant and uh, they're on a boat and he rescues them. They're being attacked and he rescues them and, and brings them to safety. And, you know, you would get the impression at the end of the story that the child that is going to be born is going to be, you know, you know who. Um, so when I first when I first read the story, I was like, Huh? You know, like, <laughs> what? Like, I don't understand. Um, I mean, first of all, it just seems like almost like, I, and I don't, I don't know, I don't want to use this word incorrectly, but almost like blasphemous to people of, 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 
of that belief, you know, to sort of like insert a superhero character in, in this story. But then I realized, well, okay, you know, it's not meant to be literal. Obviously, it's meant to be more metaphorical, which is tough to do in comic books, especially because comic book fans really want everything concrete and set in stone. And, you know, what does this mean? And what does this mean? And that, what does that mean? Um, and this, you know, obviously, if you're talking about doing a story centering around the birth of Christ, you can't set it in 2008, you know? Um, right. The numbers uh, don't add up there. Yeah, the numbers don't add up. So, I mean, those, those numbers are worse than the Justice Society numbers. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it, it's just meant to be sort of a metaphorical tale. And on that regard, it works quite well, I thought, you know. It's, I wish it was not the only Aquaman Christmas-related comic, but at the same time, you know, Aquaman is probably explicitly not Christian, for the most part, and however necessarily want to define that. I mean, and there's been other stories, and we'll even mention one of them uh, shortly, where they talk about that Aquaman especially doesn't celebrate Christmas, that the, the Atlanteans have their own form of Christmas. Um, and, uh, <laughs> they do. It's mentioned in an issue of Justice League. Um, so, I mean, yeah, which would make sense. I mean, these people are of a whole different, you know, breed, so you could see that they would have their own separate sort of belief systems and, and uh, ways of celebrating. So, um, this just reminds me of the the, the, the Muppet Family Christmas. They're all celebrating Christmas, and they run into the Fraggles. <laughs> and, and the Fraggles don't celebrate Christmas, but they have some other holiday that just happens to coincide the same time as Christmas. That's right. all about peace and love and charity. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I can't help but compare the the Atlanteans to the Fraggles. <laughs> <laughs> That's never been said before. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's it's a, it, this story somewhere beyond the sea, and it's in the DC Universe Holiday Special from 2008. Uh, it's it's a nice it's a nice little special, and the cover is by Frank Quitely, I think, or Quitely, Quitely, and it's got the various characters that appear in the book all handing out presents to children, and there's Aquaman on the cover, which is great because he, you know, he's almost never in these holiday specials that they do every year. Um, so uh, you know, it was just great to to, to have him included, um, and they, and like I said before, it's beautifully drawn. Ian Churchill just does a really really. Um, nice job on the art and the coloring is beautiful and Aquaman just looks fantastic and any any story that features two, a two page spread of Aquaman uh, fighting a giant sea creature like I'm on board you know like yeah <laughs> like that's what I want out of an Aquaman comic book so uh, it's 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 a really cute little story um, I, I was blown away by it I uh, I read it probably about a year after it came out I, uh, I'm, I have a bad habit of letting those holiday specials stack up <laughs> And then read a, read a few of them at a time. Um, I, World War Two broke out. What? What the heck? What is this? Anyway, so um, but I read it and it, you know I didn't know what to expect. And by the way, Ian Churchill is it's interesting. I have a love hate relationship with his art. Uh, sometimes I absolutely love it. Sometimes I'm, I'm like, oof, you know, not my thing. And this Aquaman is just gorgeous. It is absolutely beautiful. Read the story. You know, he did one of those as you're reading it. The whole time I'm like, wait a minute, are they? Is this? Yeah. <laughs> could that? Oh my gosh! You know, one of those kind of things as you're reading it, and then I flip back. I'm like, who wrote this? And I'm like, Dad, what? Damn! Yes, I know. You know, so it was just blew all the way around. The, the editor in chief of the company wrote it. <laughs> right. I'm a I'm a big fan of that of that little eight page story. I really enjoy it. And you know, regardless of the religious, you know, depth of it, and, and, and whether people are, I mean, it's it's just a nice tale for the season. You know, and it's just. Nice. It, it was touching. I really liked it. And, uh, in fact, I covered it 
on a, a, an episode of Views from the Long Box, I think, like last year or the year before. Um, There's another podcast that I, 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 I do with my good buddy Michael Bailey. And um, just love that story. Absolutely love it. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned uh, specifically the holiday special. If you're not familiar, uh, listeners, dear listeners, DC publishes just about every year a, a holiday special. And, you know, used to be called uh, – the, the series of them used to be called Christmas with the Superheroes. Then they went on to DCU Holiday Bash. And more recently it's been the DC Universe Holiday Specials. And they're just little anthologies. And I think we mentioned, you know, one of the issues had Ragman celebrating Hanukkah. Uh, another one I want to say uh, had a Kwanzaa story in it, if I recall. Yes. And yes. Um, they're, they're great. I love these holiday specials because they're these little 8 to 12-page stories. They do them for um, Halloween as well. And they're just nice little uplifting sort of feelings. Uh, one of my favorites is one where they decide there will be no crime in Gotham. And, uh, you know, Batman or, or – or, no, I'm sorry, Commissioner Gordon thinks legitimately that there is no crime in Gotham for one night, like at all, absolutely no crime in Gotham. Like it's an unheard of, unprecedented, but on Christmas day, there's none. And then at the end, you find out it was Oracle, uh, using Supergirl to just kind of make it happen. Yeah, that's right. That's a good Secretly, one. I do like that. I one. just, uh, I love those stories. Um, uh, speaking of, just so I don't forget it. Speaking of uh, Supergirl, um, a, a great story that appeared in, um, the Christmas with the superheroes. I think it's number two. From uh-huh. like, from like 1987 or 88, and it's written by Alan Brenner, and um, it's a dead man story drawn by Dick Giordano. And, Sweet. And I mean, Alan Brenner, and I am like total fanboy crush on Alan Brenner. The guy's only, the guy's only written, I think, about like ten comic book stories in his life, and, right. and 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 in my mind, seven of them are like classics, bona fide drop dead classics. And then, like, two of them are merely very good, you know? And then there's, like, one that's good, you know? Like, his, wow. batting, his batting average is astounding. Um, I mean, he's a TV writer and a, and a novel writer, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm very proud to say I've gotten to know him as a friend over the years, which is, like, mm-hmm. one of the things I'm most proud of because, like, growing up, I just worshipped him. And every, you know, he only did comics, like, once every five years. And, like, you know, I was like, oh, my God, Alan Brenner wrote another comic. But anyway, he wrote the story in Christmas of the Superheroes number two that features Dead Man. And it's Dead Man sort of questioning his existence as he hops from person to person. And, you know, and he starts feeling guilty about, you know, that he robs people of moments of their life, you know. But anyway, mm. at the end of the story, yeah, it's kind of heavy stuff. But then at the end, he is someone, a woman speaks to him as Dead Man. And he's startled because he's like, you can see me? And I, I don't have the book in front of me, so I'm, I'm not going to be able to get the dialogue right, unfortunately, because, you know, why prepare for the show? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but it's something like, he's like, yeah, you can, you know, he's like, you can see me. And this woman sort of, like, helps him realize that he has a, a purpose for his existence. And he says to her, he, like, thanks her. And he says something to the effect of, who are you? And she says, my name is Kara, not that you'd remember anyway. And what it is, it's oh. it's dead Supergirl, because this is right after the crisis and after Supergirl had been retconned out of continuity. And this was Alan Brennard's little nod to Supergirl. And 
apparently, I talked to Alan about this story later on via email because I was just like saying, God, it'll destroy. And he said that like DC, like a bunch of DC editors gave him a bunch of crap about it. Because when they saw it, because they were like, no, she's out of continuity. She can't be in the comics. And, you know, he had it. It was, I guess they're, I guess they pushed it through. And I guess when it's being drawn by Dick Giordano, it helps. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I think basically they had the attitude was, well, we're doing it anyway. And it's just such a wonderful tribute to the character of just like acknowledging that this character has been written out of existence, but yet here That's- she still is. That's really cool. It's a beautiful story. So that's I I have just ruined it for anybody that might want to read it. But it um it's a well, it's a it's a great great story and and that whole collection is worth uh, picking up. Again, you can pick up those Christmas comics for like next to nothing. I was going to say, but you know, here's what'll make it worth it to him. It's uh even though he's already ruined it for you, you get this bitchin' cover of the Justice League helping Santa's elves put toys together. Yeah, by by Stephen uh, DiStefano of Amazing Man. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's totally kind of goofy. Like you know, you got Aquaman. He's yeah, Aquaman made the cover. He's putting yes. together a cart and uh, Grayson in the awesome, awesome early Nightwing costume with like the yellow feathers. You know, mm-hmm. so it's uh, it's well worth picking up. If nothing else, just for the cover. Yeah, it's a good. They said those those anthologies, as Shag said, those anthologies were all were all really good. Now, now they weren't just limited to, to DC. To be fair, Marvel has done a whole bunch of holiday specials. And those are the same kind of things. They're, they're anthology packed full of great holiday stories. And I own a ton of those as well. So uh, it's on both sides of the, the comic book house. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, some of my favorite comics are, I mean, everybody knows, or most anybody knows that like, I love the Treasury comics. I have a whole site devoted to them, treasurycomics.com. And, you know, Marvel did a lot of their holiday specials as treasuries. And they did the giant superhero, which is the greatest name, giant superhero holiday grab bag. (laughs) (laughs) And they have um, that 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 features uh, stories include. I'm reading it off my site here. Have yourself a Sandman little Christmas in Mortal Kombat with the Submariner to all a good night. The Hulk versus the Thing. Yeah, that's a Christmas story. Hulk versus the Thing. Um, And a bunch (laughs) of other. So so you know yeah, Marvel did it too. I don't mean to leave them out. They did several holiday collections, and they did a, a. uh, a second one, Marvel Treasury number 13, which is Giant Superhero Holiday Grab Bag, which features um, the thing dressed as Santa Claus. So, yeah, they, they, they got into the spirit, too. They absolutely Oh, did. yeah. This is one of my favorite covers. Uh, it just cracks me up. It's uh, Spider-Man's hanging upside down, but he has decorated Wolverine with Christmas lights. And Wolverine's <laughs> just looking pissed. <laughs> it's just fun stuff, you know. It's... They they always have a good time with these things. Both both companies do, and it just it's fun. Yeah, DC did. I said the DC did treasuries as well. They did um, in 1976. They did Christmas with the superheroes, which features um, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, the Sandman. Um, Sandman. Not not the Neil Gaiman Sandman, but the the Golden Age Sandman. Um, oh, not the not the Kirby one. Okay. No, not no not the not, no, not even the Kirby one. This is the the one from the 40s. Um, a story from the House of Mystery. So they did a couple of, and then they did they did a second Christmas collection, um, and they also did, um, uh, of all things, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> he, oh, really? He managed to get th- no less than uh, three or four Treasury comics devoted entirely to him. Four. That's that's sweet. Four. Rudolph. Um, I think Batman got <laughs> Batman got three. <laughs> Rudolph got four. Um, so yeah, I mean the DC made a definitely made a lot of hay of. Uh, oh, wait a minute, I'm missing. Rudolph got five. 
five Christmas specials. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Um, so, uh, and there there was a another um, DC one they did Christmas with the superheroes, which features a swinging Christmas Carol, which is uh, with the Teen Titans, which is basically oh, yeah, yeah. you know retelling of Christmas Carol, drawn by Nick Cardi in probably one of the greatest art jobs he ever did, which is saying something. Um, that is like a, cla- a Christmas comic book classic. Is the a Nick, swinging Christmas Carol? Nick Cardi's awesome. Yes. You know, over on um, my my blog, Once Upon a Geek, I actually a couple years ago posted like something like forty Christmas book Christmas comic covers, and uh, I'm just trolling through there now, looking at all these fantastic. I mean, Captain Marvel Junior's comics, Cavalcade, Generation X, Hulk, Iron Man. There's this one particular one that I've never read, but I hear is great. My my buddy Michael Bailey's told me about it several times. Is uh, it's a DC Comics presents, and it's Superman and Santa Claus. Yeah, <laughs> they fight the Toy Man. Of course <laughs> they do. The cover's freaking awesome. I think the cover's by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. It's like man, I believe you're right. If you're gonna you're gonna get you know that's bringing out the heavy, you bring out the big guns here. Yeah, I just did a search of um. DC stories that feature Santa Claus just in the title. Yeah. Not, not just the character, but just literally just the title. And it pulled up something like 30 comics stretching as far back as like 1945. Yeah. Um, the Wonder Woman story, the racketeers kidnap Miss Santa Claus. I have no idea what that is, but it sounds like a lot of fun. Friggin' sweet. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, Santa, you know, Christmas, Christmas comics have been a, been a, you know, staple of comic books for, for quite a long time. One other uh, Christmas comic that I like expressly wanted to mention, which is my all-time favorite DC or Marvel Christmas story, period, is from Justice League of America number 110, which is April 1974. The story is The Man Who Murdered Santa Claus by, <gasps> I know, by uh, Dick De- uh, le- written by Lynn Wein and drawn, of course, by Dick Dillon and inked by Dick Giordano. And it's the Justice League versus the Key, um, one of their goofier villains. And um, wait, can, can, can I say what the cover says real quick? Yeah, sure. The year's most startling story: the murder of Santa Claus, nineteen seventy-three. <laughs> you know, they had to add that in. <laughs> I love they had the year. I don't know what that's about. In case there's a, a murder of Santa Claus in nineteen seventy-two, they would want to be able to make this one clear. Right, don't want to be confused with that. Yeah. And it's got a picture of Santa Claus face down in the snow, which is like just a wonderful <laughs> yeah, image for totally. children. Um, uh, I first discovered this story uh, not in the comic book proper because this came out in 74. I was still a little too young to be reading comics at that point. But I discovered it in a reprint of a digest, uh, a digest edition DC did called Christmas with the Superheroes, which came out in 19, uh, what is it, 1982. And this is, uh, this is Best of DC Blue Ribbon Digest number 22. Great cover by Rick. Rich uh, Buckler and Dick Giordano. And this is a great collection because it features the Teen Titans swinging Christmas Carol story, as I mentioned. Um, it also features a Batman story. It features a Captain Marvel Jr. story. And uh, it features a Sandman story. And it is the Kirby Sandman in this case. Woo! Woohoo! And all, his, all these bizarre concepts Kirby could throw into this book. It features <laughs> a, a Robin Solo story. And then it said the Justice League story. And the thing that was amazing about the Justice League story was I read this when I was, let's say, 82. I was would have been 11. So I was old enough to know, you know, that, like, superheroes don't die in their comics. But the story, the way the story unfolds is they go and they, they 
chase after the key, and the key uh, sets traps for all the JLA in his lair, and one by one he's killing off the members of the Justice League. And mm-hmm. it's done so straight that, like, for a second you're like, wait, no, they can't be dead. Well, maybe they – no. You know, like, you think the, you know, the heroes themselves seem to believe that they're all being knocked off one by one. And so it just has just enough, like, verisimilitude that you're like, oh, my God, maybe Black Canary is really dead. You know, like, you didn't know if you don't – because, I mean, I don't think – I think what I read it at the time, I didn't know it was a reprint. I just – you know, you don't, you, don't, you don't think about that stuff. You just read the comic and accept it for what it is. Well, and if they're going to kill someone, Black Canary is a pretty believable one. Well, you know, I like mean, they're but, not going to kill Superman. But well, Black but Canary, but but, it, maybe. but but I mean, by the end of the story, though, they kind of do kill off Batman and Superman, and that's when you're like, "Well, no, oh. wait a minute, now, come on." <laughs> but but it's it's just a really fun story, and it's got a nice little Christmas message at the end because um, it's got a great bit where, um, for reasons too boring to get into, it's not the Hal Jordan Green Lantern; it's John Stewart Green Lantern, and he runs into some uh, poor kids and the poor kids live in these slums and the poor kids are like, you know, why can't you build us new homes or something? And he's like, I can't do that. It's part of the rules of the guardian of the universe, which is like, yeah, a bunch of poor kids want to hear about the, the guardians of the universe, <laughs> you know, but then at the end of the story, um, the key blows up their neighborhood due to his nefarious plan and Green Lantern rebuilds their homes because he sort of finds a loophole in the Guardians of the Universe rules and says, well, I'm not creating anything new. I'm rebuilding the homes that were there. But he builds them without the rats and the, the roaches and the collapsing ceiling. So he basically builds them all new homes under sort of the loophole of, well, I'm just, do, I'm just replacing what was already there. And I just thought that mm-hmm. that was really clever and really sweet. And as a kid, it sort of like warmed my heart to see a superhero sort of like be so directly altruistic like that. Um, so, it, you know, it's just a really, really sweet story. And that's also at the end of the story, they, um, the, the Black Canary gives Rotinato a present, which is his new costume. Because before that, he had, had this very dull red and purple outfit. And then she gives him the new one, which, you know, I guess some people could argue is really not a, <laughs> really not a step up. But um, it was Wait, Black Canary. Black Canary gave Red Tornado his new costume. Yeah, the one with all the stripy pants. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. One ten is one of the only issues I don't own. Okay. I just discovered this the other day, actually, because I went go I went to go looking for this, and uh, I couldn't find it. I'm like, what? I don't own issue one ten. What the heck? And uh, so this is one of the few JLA comics I don't actually. I, I thought I owned every single issue. I found out there's one or two I don't. There you go. Anyway, uh, it's it's on its way. I'm about to have it, but. Sweet. Um, so I, I never knew where Red Tornado got his costume from. Yep. Now I know. There you go. Red Tornado, Black Canary made it for him. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a really sweet story. Um, and there is a, kind of scrolling back a little, there is that opening page where the JLA distress signal goes out. And um, you see that why, you know, what where some of the members are um, that the, and why they can't attend. And they talk about the, the Barry the Flash Allen, an example, is spending the holidays with his wife Iris and her parents a thousand years in the future. <laughs> like that, like <laughs> that incredible concept earns one panel. You know, like, just we're, right. we're visiting in the future. Like, okay, let's just move on to the next thing. Um, the atom is in a, <laughs> the atom is in a subatomic world. Uh, the elongated man and Sue Dibney are on vacation in the Caribbean, and then there's the panel with um, uh, talk about. 
Ralph has not forgotten the season at all, nor has Aquaman, King of Atlantis, as he presides over the undersea city sacred Festival of Lights. So oh. that's clearly the Atlantean version of Christmas that the, they're just not calling it Christmas, obviously. Oh, you know what? It's not like the Fraggles. I was mistaken. It's like the Wookiees in the Star Wars holiday special. They're celebrating Life Day there down at the... Exactly. And so uh, any minute now, Carrie Fisher in, is going to sing in Atlantis. He's going to be an appearance uh, by Harvey Corman and it's going to be... Exactly. Just, it's going to be just absolutely awful. Um, and Jefferson Airplane. Jefferson Airplane. Jefferson, Jefferson Airplane, yeah. Now, to follow up those sweet stories you talked about, uh, I'm just going to briefly name a couple of comics that I love around the holidays. You know, really the same sort of sweet messages that you found in that JLA issue, um, like the ambush bug stocking stuffer. Yeah, I love that. Comic. And uh, and Lobo's paramilitary Christmas special. So I mean, really, I think at at their heart they have the same message of joy that that JLA issue. Oh wait, no, no, they don't. <laughs> Blobo using a Bowie knife on Santa Claus has really nothing to do at all with uh, your story. Oh, well, but it's still their fun. It was the 90s. Everything was badass. It was the 90s. Oh, the Ambush Bug stocking stuff is hilarious. No, the Ambush Bug thing is great. I love Ambush Bug. I, I love Ambush Bug un- unconditionally. Absolutely. I think it's great. It's one of the, few, it's one of the f- uh, earliest covers I remember where they actually used the uh, – you know, the little corner box that usually has the UPC code or the direct market would have like a little, you know, whatever in there. They actually use that and give it a three-dimensional box to make it look like a present. That's right. That's right. That's, yeah, the Amber Spug is great. It's just, um, by the way, before we get off this, I should mention just in the interest of being accurate, I'm wrong. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer got seven Treasury editions all to himself. Oh, my gosh. Seven. Aquaman? Guess how many Aquaman Treasuries there were. <laughs> that would be none. <laughs> El Ciro. That would be zero. But you know what? Neither did Wonder Woman. Neither did Green Lantern. So mm. getting a Treasury edition in the 70s in DC, you basically had to be Superman, Batman, or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That was pretty much it. Or, yeah, or Superman getting pissed off enough to fight somebody, whether it be Flash, Muhammad Ali, or Wonder Woman, or whatever. But, yeah. They, uh, <laughs> it was, it was Spider-Man. A, or Spider-Man. It was a pretty high bar to get a Treasury uh, from DC Comics. So, um <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so those are, you know, just like a little list of some of my favorite oh, Christmas oh, comics. Oh, oh, I got one more. No, no, we're done. We're sorry. we got to move on. Sorry. No, 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 I have to. I have to mention this one. <laughs> uh, I'll keep it brief. You know, this was one of the – I'm sorry. I'll keep it short. It, it was one of those in the holiday specials or maybe it was the um, holiday bash. I can't remember. Either way, it's in one of the older DC collections. It's one of my favorites. It, it's called A Slipknot Christmas. Um, that is a good one. You, okay, so you've read it. All right. I have read and it. It's just – it's basically a, a retelling of a Christmas Carol, you know, with Slipknot, and uh, it's really fun. You know, I, you know, the different things just to get people who haven't read it. It's a uh, Slipknot's severed arm actually plays the ghost of Christmas present. I, it, and now that kind of I don't know about you, but that surprised me. I kind of expected his arm to play the ghost of Christmas past because you know he used to have his arm. But once you get through the story, it makes a lot more sense that they had the ghost of Christmas past played by his dignity. You know, yes. it just. It really did. And then, of course, the, the Ghost of Christmas Future, there wasn't one because, you know, <laughs> there's no future in that character. Uh, it's just – it was so deep, you know, and uh, it's just uh, – I really enjoy that one. I believe it's one of Neil Gaiman's early DC works. I think so, and uh, I think Frank Miller did a hell of a job on the art. It's, it's wonderful. It's, I have the Absolute Edition. Yeah? Yeah, it's really nice because they recolored it and stuff, so it's, it looks a lot better than, than the original one. I'm so jealous. That's good stuff. I'll send it to you. It's it's really it's really very sweet. 
So, <laughs> um, so anyway, so yeah, that that was you know just a little visit through the Christmas comics. Um, you know, certainly like you know like any kid, you know, like you love Christmas, and you know what kid doesn't? And I got a lot of comics and comic related toys for Christmas. So like you know, I will always associate those things sort of together. I mean, I got a lot of Star Wars stuff, but I also got a lot of co- my parents knew that like one way just to make me happy and probably just to shut me up was to give me a bunch of comic books. It's, it still works to this day. Tracy does the same thing. Um, so, uh, you know, the, 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 when, anytime you melded Christmas and comics together in a story, it, it, you know, it, it can't help but bring back notions of, of childhood. You know, it just, it just is going to bring that up because it's, you know, you're, you're, you're tapping directly into those, you know, beloved childhood memories. And it's always nice to see superheroes, you know, doing something a little sweet as opposed to, you know, fighting a villain or whatever they're always a little more gentle and it's it's kind of a nice side to to take on on those characters except for lobo of course oh well i just mean lobo is not lobo doesn't get nice for anybody is what i mean so there was a, there was a christmas spirit to that comic you just that? gotta search a little harder for it okay fair enough um <laughs> So that's our look at some of our favorite uh, Christmas comics. When we get back from the break, Shag's going to talk about something uh, comic book and winter related. Uh, but first, please enjoy this bit of holiday Christmassy goodness from the fine folks at Power Records. Thanks. Christmas Eve in Gotham City. Is it our imagination, or is the city more peaceful than usual? Has the magic of Christmas silenced the screaming sirens, the whine of bullets, the thousand frightening voices of terror in the city at night? We find Batman and Robin wondering about the same thing as we join them. You know, Robin, it's been a pleasure just relaxing at home for a change. Yeah, no special calls for help from the police or anybody. And I kind of like it for a change, too. The only thing on our schedule for tonight is the Christmas party at the Southside Mission down on Skid Row. And come to think of it, uh, we better get going. Okay. I'll get it. Hello? Hello. Is this Batman? Yes. I have a singing telegram for you. How nice. Sing away. And we're back. Thanks for uh, coming back and uh, enduring that little (laughs) Christmas missive from... The superheroes. Um, not enduring. I'm sure it was a lot of fun. Um, it was. It was joyful. It was joyful and delightful. Of course. I'm just kidding, Ron. So anyway, uh, we were kind of done looking at our Christmas comics, but uh, there are some sort of wintry related things that Shag wanted to talk about. So Shag, it's all yours. Well, I just I felt like I couldn't contribute uh, with Firestorm because again, there wasn't a really heavily Christmas themed Firestorm comic. So I started thinking about what I could do, and I was thinking winter holidays. And then also, uh, I recently got a suggestion from a fellow match at Robert Gross. He had suggested that with Killer Frost uh, soon to appear in the new Firestorm book, maybe we could do you know a little bio on her, give some background on her. And I thought, you know what, this is perfect. Killer Frost, she's cold, wintry, you know, holidays, it all kind of fit together. So, we're going to spend a few minutes talking about the wonderful, joyful holiday season lady, Killer Frost. (laughs) Insert square peg into round hole. All right. No rehearsal. All right. So, Killer Frost, for those of you who don't know the history of the character, um, she's... she is obviously a supervillain, if you will, but she's actually been two different characters. 
The original Killer Frost was a woman by the name of Crystal Frost. She was this sort of mousy, unattractive lady who was brilliant, a brilliant scientist, but just went through life sort of angry at the world. Uh, hated men because she wasn't noticed like the pretty girls were. And she's developed this secret crush on one of her professors, a gentleman by the name of Professor Martin Stein. And years later, uh, she had an opportunity to come face-to-face -face with him as a sort of more of a peer rather than a student. And she suddenly professed her love to him. He did not accept uh, or or um, share her feelings, and she got furious, and then, of course, there was an accident uh, in a super cold, thermo-freezing ch chamber. Which <laughs> Doesn't that always happen around Christmas? Well, I mean, you know, hey, well, they were in the Arctic, admittedly, <laughs> so, what? Well, it's a long story. Just, hey, just <laughs> keep going. Don't, don't worry about me. Just keep going. Just yeah, right. <laughs> I should learn to ignore you. <laughs> um, so she gets trapped in this giant freezer. A bunch of stuff happens. It goes down to absolute zero. She comes out as Killer Frost, which is a woman whose skin is completely alabaster, and she's got this really pretty dress, which kind of came out of nowhere. I guess she may have been a secret fashion designer too, but it, she's basically made of ice now, and she has cold projection powers, and she has the ability to. I've known a lot of women like that. Right. Well, I mean, that totally the whole play on that is, you know, first of all, her, her last name in real life is Frost. She's, you know, she's icy to men. I mean, it was just totally uh, stereotypes all over the place, you know, ice queen kind of jokes. But she, she comes out and, uh, and her, her shtick is she hates men. So she's going around killing men. And one of the interesting things about Killer Frost compared to a normal cold-powered person, normally when you fight a cold-powered person, you use heat against them. It's just kind of the way it works. Well, she's more like a refrigeration unit that requires heat to function. So the more heat you dump into her, the more she likes it. She absorbs the heat and it helps Ooh, her generate more cold. Twist. Yep. So she she was a very interesting foe. And she, now here, here's the part that's uh, – well, anyway, she – she didn't actually survive that long. She didn't have that many appearances. Killer Frost was in this, uh, she was issue Firestorm number three in 1978. And then as Firestorm disappeared for a while, she disappeared. And then when he came back, she came back. And she then appeared with the Secret Society supervillains. And she had a couple more appearances in Firestorm. And then she friggin' died. So Crystal Frost, the original Killer Frost, didn't actually make all that many appearances which is sort of ironic because people talk about her all the time and sort of hold her up as the classic original Killer Frost, when in reality, you know, she appeared like, I don't know, nine or ten or nine or eight times. So she didn't actually have that much for people to base it on. Kind of like the Riddler. The Riddler appeared once in the, like, very early 50s and then not again for 15 years. And it, wow. wasn't, it wasn't until the TV show, they used him on the TV show, that that brought him back. But, okay. but people thought that, like, so, like, post the TV show, people thought that the Riddler was, like, one of Batman's, like, enduring villains. And it's like, no, he was really, like, a one-off brought back and brought to prominence. But, you know, in terms of the comics, he basically had one appearance and then was gone. Yeah, I mean, he was no King Tut, that's for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I actually did not know that about the Riddler. Yes. And knowing is half the battle. There you go. So, um Crystal Frost, after she died, uh, she, her good friend, Dr. Lincoln, um, Dr. Louise Lincoln, decided that she needed to – she felt guilty about Killer Frost dying. She had been friends with her. She's the one who diagnosed Killer Frost as dying. And so um, 
Louise Lincoln duplicated the experiment that created uh, Killer Frost. And lo and behold, she became Killer Frost. The second one, that is. The only difference between the first Killer Frost and the second Killer Frost really was that the second one did not have the overpowering hatred of men. She just hated everybody. So, I mean, these people are totally psychotic killers. I mean, there, there's no remorse at all. They murder people without batting an eye. Uh, it's it's more of a sort of exerting, wanting control of the world rather than making money or anything like that. It's not usually her shtick. So it's usually revenge-based or, or controlling New York or whatever. So the second Killer Frost, Dr. Louise Lincoln, was almost an identical copy. I mean, her personality just sort of mimicked Killer Crystal Frost entirely, just without the hatred of men. And in fact, years later, it was supposed that the Killer Frost, there was actually like a, a disease that was transferred from one to the other, and that's why it was so similar. So that was never fleshed out entirely, but that was that was a supposition for a while. So Louise Lincoln as Killer Frost has appeared in a zillion places. You know, she she took over in '85 um, uh, as Killer Frost. And, I mean, she's been in Firestorm and Crisis on Infinite Earth. So if you've read Crisis on Infinite Earth, that was actually the second Killer Frost. I did not. that you can tell. <clears throat> yeah, I did not know that. You can't tell them apart visually. They look identical. Yeah. So, no. um, and I do like the design. I Seriously, I really do like that dress. I think it's kind of cool and kind of classy. And it's a little bit sexy. And so I think it's, it's, it's kind of a cool look. But somewhere around the mid-90s, when Underworld Unleashed came out, the second Killer Frost made a deal with Neuron for more power, and she did become insanely more powerful. And with that came a very 90s-like costume. So she went from the classic dress to uh, basically a bathing suit with some fur. And uh, <laughs> She was extreme. Well, it was, you know, it was kind of sexy. But uh, anyway, so she went on, and I mean, she fought Superboy and Extreme Justice and Green Lantern and all this stuff. And oddly enough, she was in the... 2002 run of Suicide Squad. It was only a 12-issue series. Not a lot of people read it. It was a Keith Giffen project. And let me tell you, I mentioned it here on the show a couple episodes ago, and we had someone write in. It was also a fan. It's just a great comic. But Killer Frost, this Killer Frost was actually a protagonist in the Suicide Squad. She was one of the members of the squad, and she was, it was the closest she ever got to being a good guy. So, But that was, a, that was a place where they got a chance to really explore the character more. Anyway, she goes on to fight Firestorm more. She's in Villains United, Justice League, Salvation Run. Anyway, she's been around all over the place. And uh, she's probably, you know, as powerful as the original Killer Frost. Like, originally Killer Frost could freeze, like, the whole New York Harbor and things like that. Um, and then she kind of got watered down in power. And then by after the deal with Neuron, the second Killer Frost is probably about at that power level. And she's fought Jason, and she's hooked up with Mr. Free. She's had a lot of different... She's hooked up with Mr. Freeze. She totally did. She totally hooked up with Mr. Freeze. Um, and she was just using him. She even told him later. So, Oh, so you actually meant it, that in the way I was taking it. Yeah, I, I meant that she hooked up with Mr. Freeze. Oh, That's my. exactly right. But she, she, uh, it, it, she's sort of like the Black Manta of the Firestorm world. You know, if, if Firestorm shows up, Sooner or later, you're going to get Killer Frost. Right. It's just right. one does not go without the other. <laughs> she, she would be the character they would do in the movie if they ever did a Firestorm villain, a Firestorm movie. She would probably be the yeah. villain. Absolutely. And it, it's kind of one of the things I find interesting is that arguably she might be better known to the general American public uh, than Firestorm is. 
Because while, while Firestorm appeared in Super Friends and has had, you know, a couple of appearances on Brave and the Bold and just in the background of it, a couple of DVDs here or there, that's really about all the mainstream you know, stuff he's gotten. Whereas Killer Frost has appeared on uh, the Justice League cartoon. You know, Firestorm never did that. She appeared several times there. Uh, she appeared in Brave and the Bold with Firestorm. She has been on Young Justice now. You know, she's young, got, right. yeah. yeah, I mean, she's got an action figure out there. I mean, so she's potentially she she might be more well known to like a kid nowadays than Firestorm is. So oh, kind of crazy irony. that that. I know, and 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 some of it, unfortunately, that she just gets lumped into two categories too often. That she gets lumped into is cold power character. You know, hey, let's throw her with Mr. Freeze and, you know, Captain Cold and her, and they, they can all be in Superman, Batman. You know, the, that, that storyline that came out on DVD, she showed up in there. But it's just, that's just generic cold person number two sort of role. And the other is she gets lumped into the, hey, let's take a bunch of B-list supervillains and, you know, use them without really delving into their personality, but just have them be there and standing around. That's kind of where you know she falls in with like Salvation Run or, or Villains United kind of areas, but you know, it's, it's, I'd rather they do that than not use her at all. But it's I, 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 she works much better though when she's the sole villain and you really get a chance to dive into some of her insanity, like uh, whether it be the original Killer Frost hatred of men or the replacement Killer Frost just revenge schemes or uh, manipulating Jason to cure her from cancer. I mean, just some really interesting, deep stuff they've done. So, neat character, and she is on the verge of appearing in the DC new version of Firestorm. In issue number one, we met this crazy, sadistic woman named Dr. Lauren Fortier. And she's just vicious, you know, slicing people's throat, you know, really enjoying it, torturing people. She's a sick, sick woman. Well, in Firestorm, Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man, number one, she gets caught in the blast that created, or transformed Jason and Ronnie into Firestorms. She got caught in that blast, and she starts radiating cold, like insane amounts of cold she's radiating. So it's become pretty obvious that she's going to be the new Killer Frost. And based on comments from Ethan, there's, there's no doubt she's going to be the new Killer Frost. And it's any day now she's going to appear. Because at the end of the most recent issue, Cliff Carmichael has given instructions to find Ronnie and Jason's parents. And he says, no problem. And Dr. Fortier is right there with him. And she really looks like, you know, Killer Frost. So we're going to see what their take on her is going to be. It won't be, obviously, Crystal Frost or Louise Lincoln. It will be Dr. Fortier. But she looks like she's just as wickedly sadistic. But that closes out our coverage of Killer Frost. And thank you to Robert for the suggestion. And uh, enjoy your walking in a winter wonderland with uh, Killer Frost. Uh, we are going to uh, wrap up the show as we normally do with listener – I didn't say viewer this time – listener feedback. Um, listener feedback! Okay. Um, so anyway, really got, you really got to put the echo effect on that. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Um, uh, maybe I'll put the Barry White behind it again. We're going to do listener feedback and Shag, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, yeah, gosh, I mean, we got a lot. Uh, we did. and I mean, what's that? We did. We got a friggin' ton. Thank you guys so much. I know I say it every episode, 
So, but I'm going to say it again. I can't tell you how much we appreciate the, appreciate the feedback, folks. It helps guide the show. It helps direct the show. It lets us know what you're liking, what you don't like. Uh, it's great to communicate with you guys, and we love reading as much of it on the air as we can. Uh, we're not going to get to a bunch of them this time because we are trying to keep the show tighter, which is in response directly to your comments. So if we don't mention your name you wrote in this time, don't let that stop you. Keep writing in. And, and again, thank you guys so much. It's uh, It means a lot. So I'm going to start with uh, – I'm just going to mention the Twitter folks uh, first. We really appreciate everyone who gave us a shout-out on Twitter. Uh, as always, that's a great way to help um, – Draw attention to the show. Thank you. So thank you to Lee Novak, Keith G. Baker, Ed the Unique Geek, Alan Middleton, Alex Giles, Jerome Liam Zahn, and, yes, thanks to Yildere Sonar. Sweet. Artist, artist on Firestorm uh, gave us a shout-out. I was like, whoa, how cool is that? So thank you for that. So uh, i I, I got to read this comment from Robert. This is funny. It's from, again, from Robert Gross. He says, okay, honest-to-goodness conversation I had with my four-year-old son, Sam, this morning. This is Sam talking. Okay, I've got one. Who would win between Aquaman and Firestorm if he didn't have his hair? <laughs> Sorry. I'm laughing already. Uh, who would win between Aquaman and Firestorm if he didn't have his hair? And uh, Robert goes, um, Aquaman? Because if Firestorm didn't have his hair, that means he's out of power? And Sam goes, yes! <laughs> so never let it be said that Robert's not raising his boy right. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to. Oh, I wanted to read a comment from uh, from Keith Baker, known as Buddy Baker, on the DC Comics message board. Um, his suggestion for a Doctor Fate uh, ongoing blog or podcast. Uh, his title was "Ankh No Mountain High Enough: Sessions on Doctor Fate's Couch." <laughs> which, if we ended up ever doing a Doctor Fate show, we would really just have to call it that. And I already have the theme song already in mind. So, thank oh, you. Really? You oh, really? Yeah. You think? <laughs> thank, thank you, Keith, for that suggestion. I don't know whether we'll take you up take you up on it, but if we do, you know, if we ever do a show, that'll you've already given us the title and the theme. So, thank you for that. <laughs> we actually got quite a few Dr. Fate uh, Very positive comments I guess we, our, our talk about uh, Dr. Fate last episode Kind of caught the interest of some of the folks And, by the way, I think I told you Rob But since our last podcast I totally stumbled across Didn't even realize there's a guy doing a Dr. Fate blog now Damn it <laughs> I know, he beat us to it That bastard uh, It's towerofate.blogspot.com so head on out there, check out Juan's blog, uh, Juan Mal- Maldonado, I think is how you say that. And uh, he's done some good coverage of Dr. Fate. He just got started back in November. So uh, he's, he's you know, early days, folks. You know, so hop on, go over there, tell him the Fire and Water podcast sent you. I wanted to read an email uh, or two here. Um, we got a lot of emails this time. Thank you guys so much. In fact, we got so many, we're not even going to be able to read them all on the show. But... Um, I wanted to read one here from um, <laughs> Lil, sorry, Lil <laughs> Professor Allen from Central Ohio. Says, Robin Irredeemable, I have been heartily enjoying the episodes and wanted to thank you for taking these, um, shall we say, less than historically respected characters oh, and taking them seriously. Man. Well, it's a, it's a fair comment. I know. Uh, I just hate big, to see it like that. I'm a big fan of uh, – I'm a big Firestorm fan. Clearly, this guy's intelligent and deserves the title professor. Anyway, I'm a big fan of Firestorm uh, from the days of the original five-issue series. And Aquaman is conceptually great. <laughs> He's conceptually great. That's the best thing I've heard all day. <laughs> and I'm excited that the new 52 has a great take on the character. 
I really dug the Brave and the Bold version of him as well. And needless to say, I've always been a fan of Mara. Yeah. Uh, as as yeah. As for the podcast itself, I like both the new issue episodes and the discussion of older adventures. I don't know how many times the Matchhead and Fish Talkers have shown up in the same story, but I enjoy your comments on those stories. Keep up the work, boys. Uh, again, Lower Professor Allen. That's great. That Thank great. you so much for. The- Actually, I'm got another one here. I'm not, I'm not going to read the whole letter, but uh, from what our good buddy PM who's written in a couple times now and who's given us some good suggestions. Uh, he asked me specifically about Captain Adam if I knew much about the character and some of the correlations between the two. And honestly, PM, I've read some of the pre-New 52, so, you know, the classic, not classic, the post-crisis, pre-Flashpoint era of Captain Adam, the silver Captain Adam. I, and even though I've read them, I honestly can't tell you what his powers are. I mean, he can fly, he can shoot stuff, and he's got some quantum stuff going on, but even then, it just seems too ambiguous to me. I don't know enough about the character. So, uh, I, I am definitely a Firestorm fan, and I, I like the shiny silver Captain Atom. Maybe uh, maybe Frank can tell you more about it. He runs Captain Atom blog over at poweratheatom.blogspot.com. Of course he does. But, of course he does. But um, it's just not really my, uh, my, my, my ball of wax. That's not right, is it? No, that's not right. Anyway, uh, but I do like this question here from Rob. It says, Rob, do you find that you also like Namor of Marvel, or is that a sacrilegious thought? Yeah, no, it's not a sacrilegious. 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 <laughs> no, it's not a sacrilegious thought at all. Uh, no, I don't have any. I mean, I like Namor just fine. I just don't have any particular affinity for him. I don't have. Um, like an affinity for water characters specifically. I, I mean, one of the, I mean, I like Aquaman because he is a water character, but it doesn't translate to other characters, you know, across other companies. Um, I have done a section on the shrine called Undersea Heroes, where I've talked a little bit about some of the other characters, just mainly for, you know, to compare and contrast. Um, but you know, no, I don't. I, I won't be starting the uh, Namor Shrine anytime soon. I, I will just say this. Um, Namor's first appearance. Um, check calendar. Oh, it's before Aquaman's Aquaman. First... Absolutely. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Aquaman's a rip-off. <laughs> you know, I'm willing to accept that because, you know, like... It's true. The, character, the characters were, you know, I mean, those companies were just so busily cranking out new ideas that I think the minute they saw something that they liked, you know, they were like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do our own version of that. I think that... I don't think there's anything uh, scandalous about suggesting that, you know. They just did it better. Oh, Thanks. snap. There you go. <laughs> um, I want to read an email from uh, my pal, Mac Schaefer, who, is a, who, along with his whole family, are members of FOAM. They're one of the few that, like, the, literally the entire family, wife and all four children, are all members of FOAM. Because they wow. um, they're all big Aqua fans, and they're very creative uh, people like they're always. In fact, if you look at, at the Aquamantron right now, the this month's header, um, we've been doing custom headers all year, uh, submitted by fans. Uh, this this month's header is done by the Schaefer family, and it was actually done as a piece of artwork, like cut paper drawings glued down. Uh, and so oh, it's, wow. it's yeah, and I had to scan it in and put it in as the header. They are incredibly um, creative and and. And fun family, and uh, I'm, I'm, I always get emails from like all the different members of the Schaefer family saying, "Hey Rob, I was in this store and I saw this Aquaman thing. Here you go. It, it's it's really sweet. I met them all at the 
New York Comic Con two years ago, and it was it was great. But anyway, Mac wrote um, Rob and Chag. Brief word to uh, thanks to both of you for eight glorious episodes of Flames and Fins, Bubbles and Burns, Scales and Scorch, Tap Water and Big Lighter, Fork Carrier, and Strike Anywhere Match. That's <laughs> um, I've been meaning to write about a small observation I had from an issue of Aquaman, issue number two of Aquaman on page six. Mirror and Aquaman are on the couch looking at the family album. Did you all notice the small box of toys on the coffee table? It looks like a baseball, a boat, and an action figure. I couldn't help but notice the whole box and its contents are blue, except for a yellow symbol on the action figure. The symbol looks to be Aquaman's A from his belt, but it is on the chest of the action figure. So do you think the action figure is intended to be Aquaman Mego or a Star Trek Mego figure? Anyway, I thought it was a funny little detail. Thanks again for the fun you two created, Mac Schaefer. Uh, thank you, Mac. And, you know, I didn't notice that um, the first time, or any time, actually, the times I've read this comic. There you can see a little doll there in, 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 in the box. You definitely can see it. Um, now, I, I haven't double looked. I haven't looked at it yet, but it sounds like from his description, it sounds like Captain Action. Yeah, I think if you look at it, it's. I think it's probably meant to be a Star Trek figure because just the way the tunic is drawn, it looks like okay. it looks like it would be a Star Trek um, ego doll. That's what it looks like to me. It looks like it's like a Mr. Spock or something like that. But uh, since I do have uh, indirect access to Ivan Reese and Joe Prado, I should just ask them. Uh, I should just say, guys, what, what is that? We should put that in there. So um, I will do some research on that, Mac, and, and I will get back to you. Um, got a letter here, a very nice long letter from our buddy Ben Avery, who says some very nice things about the JLA, JSA coverage we did uh, a couple issues back on the crisis on Earth Prime. So it, it actually motivated him to go out and get the issues he didn't have of this, read it, and uh, he said he loves it. So that's awesome. So uh, I, I, I just thought that was cool that someone listened to our coverage of it. And then, I mean, he has some valid points here, too, like certain things that bug him. The, the reset button, it's a Star Trek thing, too, where, you know, the story starts off, all this dramatic stuff happens, and then the reset button happens. I mean, it's that's a that's one of his things that he doesn't care for. Uh, I totally get that. But um, anyway, he, he, he it, was, it was nice to get that feedback from him. Got one here from John Godwin. Um just going to read a piece of his email here. When the, when the new 52 started, Aquaman was one of my first picks and is always one of the first reads each month. Even over Green Lantern is my favorite character. I just couldn't get into the new Far Why am I reading this? What is it? Uh, oh, God. All right. Truth I just hurts, couldn't no. get in. I know. It, it does. I just couldn't get into the new Firestorm, but the way you guys talk about them, I'm going to pick up a trade when it's released. I think it will will read better in trade form, though both series probably will. And I totally agree with that, man. That being said, you guys give so much life and energy to the characters that just listening to you makes me want to go out and buy all the old comics. That's great. That's very uh, nice. I appreciate that comment. I love his sign-off note here. Fan the flame, bite the vulture, and tie the slipknot. <laughs> <laughs> I think bite the vulture, if it didn't sound so dirty, uh, really could be great. <laughs> <laughs> that could be your catchphrase, huh? I was going to go to Chicago to get it. Never mind. Anyway, um... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's, it's 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 so obscure. I mean, bite the vulture. It, again, it just sounds filthy. It's not, but it sounds it. Um, yeah, Michael Bailey said, "Hey, Rob and Shag, just wrapped up episode seven of the Fire and Water podcast. I'm ready to say thanks for mentioning my blog, my blog Fortress of Bailey Suit on the show. I really did appreciate it. It almost made up for the fact that Shag, who I've known for six years, apparently couldn't remember the names of the guys that host Tales of the Justice Society of America. It's not like he doesn't know who Michael <laughs> Bailey, that would be me, or Scott Gardner, the other hosts are." 
It's something he isn't a semi-regular co-host on Views in the Long Box, or I sat on a many episode of Two True Freaks. I assume it's just old age getting to him. Uh, Who's this guy? <laughs> um, he mentions an interesting. I don't. Run a, I don't want to read the the whole thing. I mean, I do, but we're running out of time. Um, but he mentioned something about. Um, while I have your ear, I would like to comment on something that you discussed in episode six. Rob was talking about the origin of Ocean Master, and while I think he was dead on during the bulk of that segment, there was one comment that gave me pause. Rob said, paraphrasing, then you could understand why Aquaman's dad would pay more attention to Aquaman because he had powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men, while Ocean Master didn't. I, quote, rewound the tape, quote, to make sure I heard what I heard. Well, they agree that you could understand but not condone Ocean Master becoming a supervillain because of his daddy-brother issues. I can't understand for a minute why a father would favor one child over another. That makes Aquaman's father a terrible parent and really undermines him as a character for me. This may sound weird, but it's one of those odd character quirks that bugs the crud out of me. But that was my only quibble with that particular episode. You guys are doing a great job, and I will continue to listen. Take care, Michael. Uh, that was, I thought that was a really interesting observation that Michael made. Yeah, I think that's probably a little true. Um, I will say that, for the most part, the, the, the version of their backstory that we get, uh, that, that really developed the whole idea that, that um, Tom Curry favored the one side over the other, is from, I believe it's from um, Ocean Master's point of view in the 1986 Aquaman miniseries by Neil Post and Craig Hamilton. So that's from, that story's being told from Orm's point of view. So it's, it's the classic unreliable narrator. Um, you know, where we're hearing Orm's version, but Orm's version may not be accurate. And Orm may have felt that he was ignored, but really wasn't. Because, yeah, it would make Tom Curry kind of a real real jerkwad of a character to completely <laughs> favor the one son over the other. Now, of course, this doesn't excuse you from becoming a friggin' supervillain, but uh, <laughs> I can see why it would cause some daddy issues. But as far as I know, like, that's like the one version I think of when I when I think of those character beats, it, that's the version I think of. And so, you know, that's the version Orm, Orm is telling, and that doesn't mean it's accurate. So, yeah. It's an interesting observation, Michael. I will have to go back and look and see at other versions, the origin story, to see if they they follow that. I think Neil was the first guy to really hit on it. Neil Posner was the guy, the first guy to hit on it heavily. And uh, and But I will go back and look and see. So I got a lot of work to do after the show's over, apparently. <laughs> back to the books for you. Mm. Um, I just want to touch on uh, a lot of Slipknot talk after last episode. Um, some really great stuff. Be, really. What's that? How could there not be, really? Well, it's true. I mean, he is Slipknot after all. I mean, he's he's internationally infamous. So, um, so uh, just a couple of things. Frank made a really good observation in talking about Slipknot, how Slipknot could actually be the greatest Green Arrow villain ever. And it's, you know, when he, once he said that, it's like, huh, he really would be a good Green Arrow villain. And uh, he says, but having Slipknot fight Firestorm, it's it's sort of like Dr. Fate having allergies and one of his enemies being Mr. Peanut. Uh, <laughs> drawing the analogy with the organic rope, just how sort of a lame gimmick it is. Then uh, Robert Gross over on the DC Comics message board, and, and I'm not going to go into this because there's a lot here, but... <laughs> Uh, he put together this great thing about how Slipknot can defeat Superman uh, and gave a very logical argument for it. And it went on to talk about how Slipknot can defeat the Anti-Monitor as well uh, <laughs> and gave a logical argument for that. Just It really kept it going. And, um, and all this picking on him, Luke Giaconetti 
Jack and Eddie, uh, brought forward an interesting comparison from wrestling. In wrestling, there's a, there's a term that's traditionally called a jobber. Um, nowadays, it's more often referred to with the euphemism of enhancement talent. And the, job, the idea is this person's job is to lose. They're very low in the totem pole, and um, you need guys who get their butt beat easily. It's just that's what you need uh, in order for somebody to look like a superhero who would successfully beat them and also to make the big bads look even worse. I've got an iTunes review here. Uh, Fan the Wave and Ride the Flame (laughs) by Daniel Jaynes. This podcast is awesome. If you like Firestorm or Aquaman, then this is the best podcast by people who like these characters. If you don't like Firestorm or Aquaman, these guys talk about great stories that are being told in comics about awesome characters that you just don't know well enough. Bottom line, this podcast is great whether you know the subject matter or not. Thanks, guys. That's great. I really appreciate that, Daniel. The the iTunes reviews are so critical as that uh, it really helps do whatever it does to Apple's algorithm to help our show show up earlier in comic-related podcasts. And, uh, of course, the plethora of Aquaman podcasts as well. Yes. It, it helps bring us towards, the, you know, almost to the top of that list. Yeah. More and more every day as, as the character becomes more and more popular. Um, Struggling. And, uh, yeah, and uh, there's one another email I wanted to read. Uh, this is the last one because I think it's the most important. Um, it came as an email, and the subject header was um, – um, I think it was something like directly for you. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. It says, my name is Larry Johnson, director of inspection <laughs> here in Atlanta Airport, Georgia, USA. So you could tell it was written by someone from this country because, you know, that's the way Americans talk. Atlanta Airport, Georgia, USA. During our, investi- <laughs> during our investigation, I discovered two consignment with your name tagged of them. When... <laughs> When scanned, it revealed an undisclosed sum of money in a metal trunk box weighing approximately 100 kilog- 110 kilograms. There they go. Americans love kilograms. 110 <laughs> kilograms each. I want to use my good office to bring them to you for mutual benefit, only on the condition that we will share it 50% for, 50% for me. That's, that's what it says. I didn't write that. Get, get, <laughs> get back to me now with your full name, address, and direct telephone numbers on my private email. <laughs> L L Johnson US at Globomail dot com. I think he brings up a good point about Aquaman. <laughs> as soon as I hear from you, I will forward all the details of the delivery to you, including the time frame. Larry Johnson, and then he gives me his phone number. So, um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I, I, as soon as I got this email, I wrote him back and sent him my social security number and checking account. I mean, I, I think I'd be a fool not to. I mean, this seems like right. this seems like a real windfall for me, uh, and I need it, especially since Ace Kilroy didn't make its Kickstarter goal. So, uh, I think I'm going to be swimming, swimming. If I may mix my metaphors, swimming on Easy Street soon. <laughs> thanks to Mr. Jo- thanks to Mr. Johnson, and I appreciate him being such a fan of the Fire and Water podcast. Right. I mean, that's the kind of support we need, thanks. right there. Thanks, Larry. I appreciate it. I'm sure I'll be getting this email about the metal trunk when we start the Doctor Fate podcast. Well, folks, we didn't get a chance to say thanks to everybody, uh, but, you know, I mean, oh, gosh, there's a lot of other names here that we didn't get to. And, I, I, folks, you know, like I said, keep writing in, keep putting stuff on message boards, keep talking about the show, and we'll keep talking about you, and it'll be all of our show. So uh, thank you guys for all your comments. We sincerely appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
Buster, do you have anything else you want to say, Shank? I was just doing a quick count. I'm curious if Frank can top his 22 bullet points um, from last time. For I the think show. it's a good idea that we challenge him to do so. There it is. The gauntlet has been thrown, there you Frank. Go, Frank. <laughs> yeah, at some point we'll have to just do an entire podcast of just reading Frank's bullet points. That'd be awesome. Maybe like a bonus episode. That way you don't have to listen to it if you don't want to. Uh, not that you have to listen <laughs> me, to these per, me, me personally, I'm not going to listen. <laughs> exactly. I got to put up reading it on my site. Why do I want to hear, hear it verbally read? <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll hire somebody just to recite it into a microphone. And you and I can just take that week off. Uh, so anyway, uh, I think that that's probably going to wrap it up for this episode of the show. Um, this will be our last show of 2011. Um, there are... We keep talking about those bonus episodes that we never quite get to, but we will eventually at some point, we promise. Um, and, and that's my promise to you, Randy Collins, because I know you're desperately waiting for the Who's Who episodes. Know, They're going to happen. We're going to do them eventually at some point. At some you point. Know, let, let's, let's pull back the curtain for just a second. Folks, we did record one. We actually have recorded a Who's Who episode, and we didn't like the way it came out. So we're going to do it again. So, I mean, it's, it's not like we not, don't want to do it. It's not like we haven't tried. Uh, we've even got some other cool plans going with it. It's just when we do it, we want to do it right. Yeah, we, we did record one. We initially thought um, that it was going to be part of the regular show, and uh, we did it, and we just it just was way too rushed because it was at the tail end of the regular show, and we just weren't giving it its full due diligence. And we're like, well, if we're going to bother to do it, do it right. So we decided to split it off into its own little sub, you know, spin-off show. But we just haven't gotten around to doing that because it's, it's kind of hard enough for Shag and I to get together to record these regular shows. But we are going to so do in, it. In, in classic 80 sitcom style, it will be a very special episode. It will. There will be 26 very special episodes. So <laughs> I already have a good story about the Alchemist Who's Who entry from from, from someone who, who worked on the books themselves. Um, no way. Yes, it's awesome. So anyway, uh, that's good. That's going to wrap up uh, this episode of Fire and Water. Uh, this will be our last show of 2011. We really thank everybody for sticking with us through the ups and the many, many downs. I really do. We really do appreciate all the feedback we get because, like I said, I have another podcast that I started, which gets absolutely no feedback. And when I say no feedback, I don't mean sort of like euphemistically no feedback. I mean literally no feedback. So, <laughs> so and I even ran a contest. On that on that podcast, and I got no entries. So Dude, uh, I told you a blog on the human flying. I mean, a podcast on the human flying fish wasn't going to take. I know. Well, you know, I, I wanted to quarter that niche market. I mean, if Slipknot can take off, why can't the human flying fish? Um, so no, we really there, do. We really, do, really, really do appreciate everybody's response to these shows. Shag and I are having a lot of fun doing these, and like we said, if we could do them, you know, like every couple of days, we would. So you know, thanks for sticking with us, and we hope to have some even more fun stuff in 2012 and we're hopefully going to maybe start having some guests on here and there so we can shag and I can collectively ignore them instead of ignoring each other. And, um, <laughs> and we'll do some special shows and we even have some other little bonus things that we've been recording here and there that we want to use at some point that we hope to, uh, to put up as well. So, uh, you know, thanks. Thanks for listening everybody. We really do appreciate it. Absolutely folks. Uh, I want to wish you a very happy holidays. Uh, very happy New Year. Thanks again, uh, as Rob said. Uh, we really appreciate all the support. We're enjoying it. We, we enjoy that you guys are part of the show. I mean, I, I listen to a, a fair amount of podcasts, and I don't know whether we just get more feedback or maybe we just take the time to read it. 
or we just have cooler listeners. But I think that's it. I mean, I think it is. Honestly, I mean, we, we're really we've got a really great interactive, uh, you know, thing going with y'all, and I want to keep it up. You know, more of that in 2012, folks. Let's keep it going. Speaking of 2012, our first show will probably be pretty early in 2012 because we're going to be talking about issues number four of Aquaman and Firestorm. Sweet. They come out at the very end of December. I think it's sitting at the 28th, Rob. It's the 28th, yeah. So, folks, between Christmas and New Year's, you got to go hit your comic shop. You got to uh, get your uh, your new number fours, and then come back early 2012. We'll be talking about them. Absolutely. Uh, so, so until then, again, thanks for thanks for listening to the show, and we hope to see you on respectively the Aquamantron.com and FirestoreFan.com, which of course you can find us both on Twitter and on Facebook, and uh, you know all over the place. So uh, you know, oh, and, if, and if you want to drop us a line, remember the email address is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Shag, anything else before we uh, say goodbye to 2011? Ho, ho, ho! It's <laughs> good. Both a belly full of jelly and all, or whatever that is. So, uh, <laughs> Did you just call me fat? No, it's, 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 it's you're jolly, I think is what I'm going to I hate you. Oh. I'm not going to talk to you. T- you know what? I'm not going to talk to you till next year. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> all right, thanks, and to guys. All a good, and to all, a good night. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. We'll see you later. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super fair. Aquaman. We're friends forever. Yeah! And at the stroke of midnight, once again we hear a familiar voice and a welcome sound as Santa rides again. On fiction, on fire.